A reading from Isaiah 40, chapter 40, verse 9 through 11. Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold the Lord God comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. He will attend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom, and gently lead those that are with young. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to Let us pray. Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, uh, we ask that you would be with us as you've promised that wherever two or three are gathered in your name, you are there. And we ask that you'd be at work in our hearts. Uh, Lord, we come from a variety of different backgrounds this morning. Uh, Some of us carrying heavy things, uh, some of us grieving, uh, grievous things. And uh, some of us bored and disinterested. Lord, would you meet with us? Would you bring us your word? Would you do your work in our hearts that we might know you, the living God? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. In uh, 1988, uh, there was a song that hit the Billboard Hot 100 charts and uh, immediately went to number one. And it was a song by a relatively unknown artist. And it happened to be the first a cappella song to ever reach number one on the Billboard 100. Later won a Grammy for Song of the Year. And the title of the song was taken from a phrase that was often used by an Indian mystic. And the artist who wrote this song first saw that phrase printed on a poster in the apartment of some friends who lived in San Francisco, of all places. That phrase, don't worry, be happy. Y'all remember the song? I'm not going to do it, but the, ooh, 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 remember that? And the song, the song like skyrocketed in popularity when it was featured in the Tom Cruise film Cocktail. Like maybe one of the worst ever made. But uh, the Recording Industry of America and the National Endowment of Arts, they nominated this song as one of the songs of the century in 2001. But 10 years later in 2011, Village Voice critic Michael Musto named it as one of the worst songs of all time. And another critic lambasted it, saying, It is difficult to think of a song more likely to plunge you into suicidal despondency than this. Now, that's a a pretty wide range of reactions, right? Song of the century or worst song of all time. Which is it? Well, I think the reason why there's such a wide range of reactions to a phrase like, Don't worry, be happy, is that most of us have pretty strong feelings when it comes to the topic of worry. And and the reason is that worry troubles almost everyone at some point or another, right? It it troubles control freaks, we know that, but it also troubles procrastinators, although it may not be so obvious until the gavel's about to drop. It troubles fearful people, it troubles ambitious people. Even you outwardly calm and collected people, you can be inwardly moaning and groaning with anxiety and no one knows it. Worry does not seem to be a discriminator of personalities. It can trouble 
anyone and everyone. And, and the thing is, is we can worry about almost anything. We worry about our mortgage. We worry about our investments. We worry about our bills. We worry about our jobs. We worry about our kids. We worry about our parents. We worry about our families. We worry about our singleness. We worry about our health. We worry about our weight. We worry about our appearance. We worry about making a bad decision and screwing up our lives. We worry about ruining our reputation. We worry about whether there really is any meaning and purpose to our lives. And while we can worry about the past and the present a whole bunch, worry's preferred time zone is the future. When we worry, we feel vulnerable and powerless in the face of what is uncertain. And when the future is uncertain, we're tempted to lose hope. The people that Isaiah is writing to in the passage that we're looking at this morning, as we're spending the whole season of Advent looking at this one chapter, Isaiah 40, the people that Isaiah is writing to were a people who had lost hope in the face of an uncertain future. And if you remember what Ben talked about last week, if you were here, here, the Israelites had been traumatized by the Assyrian invasion. And they were told that darker days were ahead. That Judah, the surviving kingdom, was going to be taken into captivity by the Babylonians. Their world was being absolutely shattered. And for 39 chapters in the book of Isaiah, we get judgment oracles from Isaiah's lips. God has appointed him to a difficult task to declare to God's people, because of your sin and betrayal, this judgment is falling upon you. But in chapter 40, the tone entirely changes. And what we see is that God speaks tender words to his people. And it begins like this, comfort Comfort my people. God is saying, I am still your God and you are still my people. And as this passage continues on, what we discover is this. To a worried, anxious, and fearful people, Isaiah brings words of hope. It's called good news. Used twice in verse 9. Go up on a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. And what is the good news? Behold your God. Isaiah directs them to the character of God. Why? Because worry, in many ways, is a theological problem. And it can't ultimately be dealt with without understanding who God is, what he has done, and what he promises to do. This isn't, don't worry, be happy. This is, take a good, long look at your God. And Isaiah gives us two images of God in this passage that we need to know if we are to have hope in the face of an uncertain future. In those two images, the Lord God comes with the strength of a warrior... No one can stop him, but he also comes with the tenderness of a shepherd who will gather the weak and the lame in his arms. Sovereign power plus tender compassion. God is a mighty warrior and God is a tender shepherd. And I want to look at these two pictures that Isaiah gives us of God together this morning. So let's start first with God is a mighty warrior. 
This is verse 10. Notice, it says, behold your God. And then the very next line is, behold, the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. He comes with might. It's absolute power unbridled by anything other than his own sovereign purposes. And when it says his arm rules for him, God is being described as a mighty warrior who's rolling up his sleeves to go to battle. And this language of God's arm, it goes all the way back to the story of the Exodus. If you go back to the book of Exodus, what you find is that God's deliverance of his people from Egypt is with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. It speaks of God's power to judge and to save. And what you find is the Israelites are once again in bondage as the prophets begin to repurpose that phrase. To speak not only of God's past deliverance, but to speak of God's future deliverance. A new exodus. And here's the point that Isaiah is trying to drive home into the hearts of God's people. That God has the power to deliver. Because he is a mighty warrior. Now, you don't don't have to be a Christian to recognize that the human heart is constantly angling towards various sources of power that we hope in. It's like built into our DNA. It's behind our enthusiasm for certain politicians and their promises because we believe they have the power to actually fix things and make make things right. It's beneath our excitement when we meet someone important in the Silicon Valley who we think has the power to get us where we want to go. VCs. Angel investors, the right advisor, power. It's even what drives our pursuit of romantic relationships. That we grant savior-like status to a man or a woman that we desire because we think that somehow they might have the power to deliver us and make us whole. We find that we think money has the power to make us safe and secure. That achievement has the power to make us significant and relevant. That creativity and ingenuity has the power to solve our problems and shelter us from disaster. But if you look closely, we continue to worry and fret inside because deep down we know. We know that none of these things really makes us safe. None of these things really protects us. None have the power to deliver us. And Isaiah is drawing our attention to the God who is a mighty warrior. Anything and everything that stands in his way, in the way of his salvation, will be obliterated. And he comes armed for battle. Nothing can stop him. And you know what this does? It brings enormous hope into the lives of fearful and anxious people. Now, you might be saying, if God is a mighty warrior, if he is so powerful, why is this world still so screwed up? Or maybe even make it more personal, why is my life so screwed up? Everywhere you look, there is loneliness and heartache and suffering and death. Ah, but just because he doesn't exercise his power when and how you want him to does not mean That he is powerless. It doesn't mean he can't. And it doesn't mean he won't. Heal what is wounded. Or mend 
what is broken. In fact, what you find in the Bible is that God makes two big promises about how he will use his power. First, he will one day heal everything that needs healing. And second, in the meanwhile, he will work for good in each and every sorrow that you and I experience if you're one of his people. And I want you to think about those two big promises for a second. On the one hand, God promises there will be a day, a great day in the future, when he will flood the world with his glory, transforming it so completely that it will throb with peace and justice and love. Creation will be restored under God's rule and reign, and it will happen at the return of Jesus. That's what we look forward to in Advent. In the season of Advent, we aren't just looking back on the, the first coming of Jesus. We are looking ahead at his coming again. And it's all part of God's big promise of what he will do to fix what is wrong. And God's people are always called to view the present in light of that future. But all too often, you know what we do? We do the exact opposite. We view the future in light of the present. We think the way it is now is the way it always will be. What do I mean? Well, you know, you know how this goes. Like when you're depressed, what you hear inside is, I will never feel hopeful again. When you're suffering, you think, I will never get relief. This will never go away. When you're anxious, you actually come to believe, I'm never going to know peace. We view the future in light of the present. But what God wants us to do is to view the present in light of his promised future. And when you're trusting in God's power to do what he's promised, it actually begins to free you from the prison of present experiences and feelings. And it actually takes you into the horizon of his promise. And you know what that does? It begins to kindle hope. God promises that there is a great day in the future where he will heal and mend and make new all things. Ah, but there's another side to this. God only promises that. He not only makes promises about the future, he makes promises about your past and your present experiences. See, what, what if you could know that everything that could ever happen to you, everything that has happened to you, that is happening to you, somehow could be caught up in God's sovereign plan to bring good into your life? That doesn't mean these awful things are good. But it means that somehow God's love and God's power trumpet and repurpose it. That's exactly what the scriptures tell us about this God. That he says he has the power to work all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. That's Romans 8.28. You know what that means? God has the power to weave all of our sorrows into a story that ends in joy. Friends, Isaiah is drawing our attention to the sovereign power of God. He is a mighty, mighty warrior who is able to work for the deliverance of his people. But you say, maybe he is able. Maybe he really is that great and powerful. But is he willing? Does he really care? 
And to be specific, does he care about me? And that's when this second image that Isaiah gives us really comes home. Because God is not just a mighty warrior. He is a tender shepherd. Look at verse 11. The one who comes as a mighty warrior ready for battle in verse 10 also comes like a shepherd, verse 11, leading his flock home. And, And it's crazy. His mighty ruling arm that is talked about in verse 10, it's the same arms that his flock is gathered into in verse 11. As a shepherd, it says he will tend to his flock. He will gather his lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom. He will keep them close to his heart and he will lead them home. It's a beautiful picture of his intimate loving concern for his people. Now, there's something very humbling about this picture, by the way. Because if he is the shepherd, that means we are sheep. It would have sounded much better if it it had been, you are jaguars. Right? Jaguar, exotic animal. But sheep, that's not very flattering, by the way. Sheep are not known for their wisdom and self-sufficiency. You don't see a lot of wild sheep running around all by themselves. Because you know why? They get devoured by wild animals. They have a tendency to eat poisonous roots and die. And I've heard that, you know, untended to, sometimes sheep's wool grows so much that they cover their back end and they die. If you know what I'm saying, right? I mean, sheep are not, not lovely animals. We are sheep. And as sheep, we need a shepherd. Which means that despite the dazzle of our resumes or the size of our bank accounts or the number of our degrees or the breadth of our experience, we are vulnerable and helpless in ways that we often don't like to admit. But if you want to know God as shepherd, you have to come to grips with yourself as a sheep. You know, there, there are those moments in our lives where it's easier to recognize. When we realize we aren't as competent as we thought we were. Where we don't have the control that we thought we had. That we weren't, aren't as wise and put together as we might have imagined. And those are the moments where we're coming face to face with our weakness and vulnerability. And that can be very unsettling. But look at what this is saying. God cares for the weak and the vulnerable. He gathers the little lambs in his arm. He gently leads those that are with young. God has a huge heart for the vulnerable and defenseless. You see, this isn't survival of the fittest, where only the strong make it. It's survival of the weak through the tender care of a faithful shepherd. You know, so much of our worry and anxiety is rooted in the fear that we don't measure up, that we won't be able to excel, that we can't keep distinguishing ourselves from the crowd. I mean, that's, those desires are what drive us in the Silicon Valley, but they're also what kill us when we discover our weakness and our helplessness. I was talking with someone a few weeks ago, and they said, I hate feeling needy. Do you recognize that in yourself? We hate feeling needy. But needing him is the key to knowing him as your shepherd. 
See, the good news that comes to weak, vulnerable, worried, and fearful people is this. Behold your God. Take a good long look. He is a tender and compassionate shepherd. And he says, I am with you, I love you, and I will lead you home. There is nothing that could give us more hope than this. See, Isaiah is coming to a people whose lives have been shattered, who are facing an uncertain future, who are being overwhelmed with fear and anxiety and worry. And he is called to proclaim good news. And what is that good news? It is behold your God. He is a mighty warrior who works to defend and deliver his people. He is a tender shepherd who gently guides and intimately loves those who belong to him. Do you know this God? Do you know him? You see, if you only see God as a mighty warrior, you might think he's able to rescue, but he's not willing. God doesn't care. God doesn't care about me. And if you only see him as a tender shepherd, you might think, oh, that's sweet. He wants to gather his little lambs in his arms, but he's unable to do anything about the horrors and tragedies of this world. But Isaiah says, take a good long look. He is both. And when you see that he's both, it actually begins to bring hope into your life. You know, God indeed did bring these exiles home from Babylon. But he was barely getting started on his great work. You see, centuries later, in a small backwoods town called Bethlehem, we get another announcement of good news. And that is Christ the Savior is born. The Messiah, that's what Christ means. And you know what the early Christians came to see and to say about him? They came to see and to say what God did in the Exodus and what God did for the exiles in Babylon, it was nothing compared to what God did in the coming of Jesus the Messiah. You read through the Gospels, what do you find? You find Jesus is a mighty warrior. That he actually has the power to cure sickness. That he rules over nature and sin and death. He can touch the leper and make the leper clean. Right? He can cast out the demon. Right? He is a mighty warrior come to do battle with sin and death. Oh, but he is also a tender shepherd. John chapter 10 When Jesus is on the scene amongst his disciples, he says, I am the good shepherd. I am the one who has come to restore God's people, to repair the broken relationship between the Father and his people. And how does he do it? He says, I come to lay down my life for my sheep. Jesus, the mighty warrior. Jesus, the tender shepherd. Jesus The full and final revelation of who God is. You want to know who God is? You look at Jesus. The son of God who put on flesh to disclose to us his glory and his majesty and goodness. You know, when we are overwhelmed and crushed by worry and anxiety and fear, what we're often saying inside is this. I know the way life is supposed to go. And God's not getting it right. If I were in charge, things would be different. But God is saying, you have no idea what I am up to. No idea 
how I am working for your salvation. And that's why Isaiah is drawing our hearts to fix themselves on who God is. Because it gives us hope. I don't know where you are in your spiritual journey this morning. I don't know what questions you might have, what baggage you might be carrying into this place. But I know one thing. And that is the God who made heaven and earth was willing to put on flesh and enter into the miseries and the sufferings of this life and to go to the cross and offer himself as a sacrifice for sin and be raised from the dead and give us his Holy Spirit as a down payment of the hope that is ours in the gospel. And he's constantly drawing our eyes and our hearts to see who he is, what he has done, and what he has promised to do in the future. You know, the early Christians made this confession. This is from the Apostle Paul in Titus chapter 2. Looking back on the coming of Jesus and looking ahead at his coming again, he writes, The grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Why? Because we are waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of our, the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. What's our assurance? He gave himself for our sins, to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Friends, this is what Advent is all about. Is that we're able to trace the story of God's mighty work and of God's tender care all the way through to the coming of Jesus. We sit in a far better position than the people of Isaiah's day because we can look back On what he has done in Christ. But it's to cultivate hope for what lies ahead. The great promise that when Jesus returns, all things will be made new. And every Sunday we rehearse this. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Jesus is the one who came. The mighty warrior and the tender shepherd. And he is the one who is coming again. And it's all about hope. We have the hope of a world made new in Christ, which means we have the hope of you and me made new in Christ. He's a mighty warrior. He's a tender shepherd. Isaiah says, behold your God. Let us pray. God, we come to you this morning. We thank you for your word, your words of comfort, your words of hope, your words which Uh, get underneath the surface of our lives and begin to root out the the things we put our hope in that leave us feeling fragile and insecure and unsafe. And Lord, we don't know the future. We don't know what's right around the corner immediately. But what we do know is that you are at work even right now because you are the mighty God and you are the tender shepherd who cares about the details of our lives. So God, would you do whatever it takes this morning to open our eyes, to soften our hearts, to unstop our ears, that we might see, that we might hear, that we might believe, that we might experience your nearness and your love. And that in knowing this, our lives would be different. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.